0: Brother Jerry.
1: Okay then. Yeah, we made it.
0: Oh yes.
1: Hey, I don't know about you, but uh weird weather afoot down here. We've had like ninety percent plus relative humidity in Austin, which is kind of unusual for two days. Yeah, we
0: got drizzle uh fifty it's forty five now, could get up it's gonna get up to fifty and it's just gonna be drizzling the whole day with not a lot of heavy rain, but just constant. Hasn't started yet, but it on its way, and then tomorrow will be a little bit warmer, get up to 55, but still cloudy.
1: Yeah, we got we got rain coming, too. Yeah. Well, anyway, enough enough of that dismal weather stuff.
0: Our, our podcast will cheer us up.
1: Yeah, we we all suffer. I think, I don't know if Jeff has this, but I have it, Mom has it, and it sounds like you have it, too. We become somewhat despondent when there's no sunshine.
0: Yeah, it's called light deprivation.
1: Yeah. Anyways, uh yeah, we're going to move on. But we're going to create a little of our own sunshine. We get to talk about opiates today, but that comes last.
0: But you know what? Quite often what what you wear can make your day and make you feel so much better. Oh my
1: god, you are right about that. And I can't think the question has to be asked. What are you wearing?
0: My brother is doing fine t-shirt. Ooh. But eagerly, eagerly awaiting uh, a new T-shirt, which uh, has our uh, well, it has our faces on it. I don't know if that's a good selling point or not. Yeah, uh,
1: I'm. I it's
0: worth noting. It's, <laughs> it's worth noting. Questionable.
1: That's for sure. You yeah. might want to. Yeah, and you know there were some <laughs> challenges in making this. Uh, as I told you, we uh, w- what I did was I took some great pictures of us when we were up in uh, Chicago and what have you, and then I had one I took down here. And uh, it featured these, these cool hat these hats that you and I like, and not everybody does, but these are the earmuff style hats, or Uncle Buck hats, we call them down here. We talked about this before. But the thing is, is that, you know, I did some filter treatments and stuff on our visages, our faces, to make them uh, look more interesting. I don't know if it worked or not. And then, you know, we ran into, there were some, there were some challenges in making this t-shirt too. I'll just say two of them and then we'll get on with it and people will appreciate the product more perhaps. Here's the, uh, the challenge was that, uh, number one, there's a limited number of colors that you can have when you print a t-shirt because the technology and et cetera. So uh, I had to keep lowering the number of colors I used until it got to the point where I decided, hey, this looks much better just black and white or grayscale. So that's what I ended up doing. So that's the first thing. This is not color. And uh, it's it's black. It, it looks cool, though. And because of that, it really looks great on a black T-shirt. So obviously, this is a black T-shirt. Second challenge was that these two circles that you and I are in, uh, well, let's just put it this way. If I make the artwork in a certain position and a certain size, kind of looks like you and I are boobs, which is probably, which is true, of course. But...
0: Yeah, that's too, that's hitting too close to all. It is,
1: it is, but it, yeah, it just draws attention to a woman's breasts or, mm-hmm. or my breasts, uh, which we, we don't want to think about that. So yeah, oh, God. that, that, so there were some challenges and the bottom line is though, it looks pretty damn cool and it just got it's, it has our url right at the top no mistake in it www.bro.show and you want to get one of these t-shirts you have to have one of these t-shirts john and i are getting them our close relatives are getting them and so you guys got to get them too you can't have too many t-shirts so it's good you got to get one and here's where you get them shirt.bro.show that's all it takes just type that into that field in your browser the url field at the top hit return and you'll be there before you know it so i'm wearing since you asked i'm wearing the blue the second generation Blue. the blue right uh i have to say the blue is extremely nice i like my blue so next round i think we got to do some blues i think the
0: uh the all these shirts we have it's the texture is, is just incredibly good. It's such a soft feeling mm. on the skin and God knows I need it.
1: Um I'm, I'm not saying anything. I'm not <laughs> saying a goddamn word. <laughs> I'm not gonna mention the gynochomastia at all. Okay. <laughs> I got a lot of grief on that one. So oh. Yeah, okay. People are really yeah. sensitive, John. Not you and I, of course. Yes. All right. no, no. Never. No, never. no, not at all. So hey, what's uh what's the lineup today?
0: Well, I'll tell you, uh some of it we're going to start pretty light and then we're going to go heavy, but we're going to start with talking about the uh the recap of the World Series. Uh I'm sure everybody knows by now that the uh, Astros won, but we're going to go into little detail as to how they got there, why they're so popular, some of the uh, more significant aspects of the series. It was an incredibly exciting series, and I think we'll Kind of recap that and enjoy it yeah. a little bit again.
1: Oh man, I uh, then what we're going to do? Actually wa- I actually tried to watch the last game. Is this is kind of a record, right? Remember, this is this is this is Mr. Cliff's notes. So uh, yeah, I tend not to watch these games. But John, the thing that happened that allowed me to do this was our cable provider has an app that I was able to get on my iPad. And uh, I was able to – I can watch live TV now, which is kind of exciting. So, yeah, I watched uh, five innings and I fell asleep. But you did too, so I don't feel so bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the the problem is that two of the games were so incredibly exciting Mm -hmm. that the last game, although it had its Cliff Hamminger aspects to it, could not begin to – Stir up the excitement that the games two and uh, and five did. But yeah. again, we we will we'll be talking about that. Well, we're then going to move on and take a look at a movie. And I think probably the big question about this movie is why in the hell did you select like it? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's more interesting I mean, come than the movie.
0: On. <laughs> <laughs> yes. that's much more interesting yeah. than the but, movie. Uh, but it's it's called night game. It's got a it's got it. We're we're trying to keep the the thread, the Houston Astros thread, continuing into our film. And we really stretched it this and... one, this time. <laughs> Man, yeah, we're out of shape after going over this thing. That's yeah. Cool. So then we'll we'll wrap it up with a more much more serious topic, uh, something which came to the forefront over the last week or ten days when uh, President Trump uh, announced a. National health emergency. So we're going to give a little background on that with the the opioid opioid uh, con- uh, opioid excuse me, uh, crisis. Yep. So those are our topics. Okay. Well, let's start it out the World Series. So let's move Man, on World
1: Series. That was okay. First of all, uh, uh, I'm I'm going to admit to this, John. I did make a prediction, as you know, and I I got I got two things right, and one thing I wrong. Think- Would you say that sums it up?
0: Yeah, tie, just a little bit on the timing. Yeah. Well, what
1: I did was I did call it for the Astros right away, and I said it would be six games, right? But, and I you even did. said yeah. what the wins and losses would be for each game. I got them all right except right. for the last two. There, I reversed right. them. Uh, you know, dyslexia, what can I say?
0: That, that's fine. It all worked out. We've. I think the thing about it is that uh, when we take a look at this World Series, uh, we've got a very, very popular team playing uh, the Astros. And when you take a look at it, you've you've got uh, the fact is they've never won a World Series before this year. In addition to the fact they had never even won a World Series a game, they'd only been in one World Series. So you have this this underdog sort Mm -hmm. of complex that they had going in. And then you've got the disaster connection yep. with not only the fact that they suffered because of the, the the uh, which one would that have been, Harvey, yep. Hurricane Harvey in, in Houston. But we find that uh, three of the uh, Astros, uh, two more than the Dodgers have, are have a Puerto Rican connection. They're born and raised in Puerto Rico. Yep. And so you put that together. And then you've got the fact that uh, the Dodgers, I don't know. They just don't. You know they're Los Angeles, uh, whatever. They're not what you call, except for their Southern California. They're not a real popular team. I went around and asked, people. yeah, and they said, you know, who are you rooting for? Everybody said, oh, I'm, I'm rooting for the Astros. I'm rooting for the. Yeah, Astros. well, so, you know what happened. Here. I
1: also. <laughs> no.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. Well, you're 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 close, and then of course you've got your urologist who kind of spurred you yeah, on. Dr.
1: Yang is time. so happy we'll be talking about euphoria in the third uh, uh, segment, and I think he's been experiencing that the last three days.
0: And you want your doctors in a good mood. I do. Oh, I, I do, oh, I know.
1: Yeah. That's important. Very. Keep him happy. I do. He's got a T-shirt, too. One of our T-shirts. Well,
0: one other aspect of this is that it's sort of the David and Goliath thing, because the Astros are kind of, quite often you look at them and you see they're five foot six inch second baseman who's going to probably win the most valuable player award in the American league. So they have this kind of little guys versus big guys, um, mindset, which, you know, everybody always kind of roots for the underdog. So it all, it all worked out pretty good. And so, yeah, we got the popular Astros uh, winning in, in seven games. Yep.
1: They had their parade. Oh, the they hatch, had the parade yesterday.
0: Yeah. The parade was, a was, that's always nice. Uh, To have the parade, I've been to a couple of those myself. Yeah, for the White Sox and the and the Cubs, uh, you know. Oh, don't forget the Bulls.
1: uh, The Bulls, the Bulls, they had some good ones. The Bears had some good
0: ones too. Yeah, the Bears, the Bulls, yeah, the Chicago does have. You know, I think just in general, parades are a big deal here. Yeah, they
1: are. They are. You know, that's the Irish. I think I'm going to say that I'm part Irish. I can say that.
0: Yeah, St. Patrick's Day probably ranks right up there every. Every year we have that one. So that's probably our most popular parade. Absolutely. So how did these teams get there? I mean, the fact is that we've, one nice thing is we end up with two teams that did very, very well in the post, in the uh, regular season. The Astros won more than 100 games and the Dodgers won 104 games, the most of any team in the majors. And qu- quite often you see these, these teams sneak through and uh, get to the, the world's, series by way of wildcard, etc. But I think it's kind of nice that we have what I would call kind of a pure World Series, where we have the better teams with the better records that are able to then execute that same uh, performance in, in postseason. Uh, the, the other thing that's kind of interesting is that the Astros beat uh, ended up beating the Yankees four games to three, while the Dodgers beat the Cubs so what you do, in effect, is you eliminate the Dodgers, obviously, is a major media market, but you eliminate the New York market and you eliminate the Chicago market. And quite often what happens is that TV viewership in those two markets is going to be down because everybody's kind of has this kind of letdown because they've lost. So I ran into a lot of people who said, yeah, we lost. I stopped watching. I don't care about it anymore wow. now. Wow. Still feeling depressed. Yeah, those poor people. And all that good stuff. I,
1: I don't. I have to tell you the truth. I I watched the game. Uh, it was it was at dot at, at their stadium, is in in Los Angeles or wherever it is. And right. you know, I have to say, John, I've been to some ball games with you now, and you know, I'm kind of gotten back into the swing of it. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm re- I'm a uh, what do they call it? I'm i uh, I'm recovering from baseball abuse in my childhood. I, I don't know many people don't know this. Yeah, but. I have a brother named John, who you may have met, who uh, wouldn't let me go to sleep at night until I recited the uh, names of the ballparks for the the National League and American League. (laughs) Stuff like that. So, yeah, I had a pretty bad taste in my mouth about this. I mean, I probably shouldn't. I should have outgrown it. But, hey, you know what, though? We started doing this podcast, and obviously we talk about baseball, and I've gotten back into baseball again. I go to baseball games with my brother John. And it's all good. And I even watched my first baseball live baseball game for this World Series. So I think I've made progress, John.
0: You have. I mean, the the fact is that you learn baseball through osmosis or some sort of mental torture. Take your pick. I'm. I, yeah, um, I'm.
1: I'm visualizing like a guy not... on a gurney. His arms are strapped down, and they're they're like <laughs> they got one of these big needles, you know, and they're like ah, right in the vein.
0: Okay. But you know, my my read is that that was a that you acquired a lot of good baseball knowledge. While uh, other True. people might say, and I'm, I would have to put my, my my wonderful wife in that category. I got sick and tired of baseball living with you. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh.
1: She used to like it. That was the sad. I know part of that's that
0: one. The, that's the problem. Yeah, there's a there's a person who actually enjoyed the game on a, on a certain level, and then was subjected to too much baseball. But it all... all Now, back to the point. We had a mixed marriage. Go ahead. mixed marriage.
1: That's good, John. (laughs) (laughs) John doesn't define race. He defines baseball or no baseball. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That's better, I think. Oh, well. anyway, so the point I was trying to make was I did not think that stadium or that team, the Dodgers, were very with it. I, I, I just didn't sense the hunger. I did not feel the excitement. I did not feel like they were really in the game and then you know by about the middle of the game they started looking like you know they were part of the opioid crisis i mean (laughs) it was not good i mean I, i i was hoping for a little something something and you know they left all these men on base inning after inning you know at least three i think
0: and, well, they at the beginning of the uh, they had their opportunities at the beginning in Game Seven, and uh, and the the Astros did too. The Astros had timely hitting, were able to get a five to nothing lead fairly quickly, and they were able to hold on for dear life and won five to one. It, they're uh, an interesting
1: team, though. I mean, you know, uh, I, I, just my gut, you know, and I'm not not the baseball guy you are, but I, you know, they're. You're you're you really rooting for them because, you you just what, what you said they're hanging on by their fingernails you know, and all these things you know you are oh god are they gonna be able to do that you know you really you're feeling sorry for them and stuff like that and because they don't seem like superstars really, but they really did well, this was a pretty good game really what do you think the pivot point in the game was John what what do you think allowed them to win it was it the first inning.
0: Well, I think that the uh, the critical point in the game comes when uh, the World Series MVP, George Springer, hits a two-run homer and sort of uh, puts them five to no- at a five-to-nothing lead, which is, you know, a couple extra runs at that point when you you got a team down and then sort of you kind of kick them while they're there. Um, I think that, to me, was the critical point. Second that, inning? And obviously, you have already mentioned. Yeah, I think it was in the, uh, the second okay. inning that they made that happen. So, you know, and then the other thing, critical point is the fact that you've, uh, you see, see the thing about the, the popularity of the Astros lies in the fact that they've got a very significant, obvious weakness on their team. Their bullpen suck. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But that was, oh, I think that was, uh, nullified to an extent by the fact that the starter for the Dodgers was, uh, he just never quite clicked. He never got it, did he?
0: Yeah. Yves Darvish was not their, uh, you know, they ended up using their, uh, number one pitcher, Clayton Kershaw, in the uh, sixth game. So then they're, they're confronted with, well, who are they going to use in the seventh? And, um, and with the idea that, look, we're going to start the regular guy, even though he's not our best. We can yank him before things get too bad. Well, unfortunately, they couldn't, they didn't quite do that. Uh, before you know it, the, uh, the Astros have those five runs. So I was going to say the other critical point is the fact that when you get to game seven, all hands on deck, everybody's going to be up there ready to play. So even if you pitch two or three days beforehand, you are going to be called, you could be called upon to come in and, and what the Astros were able to do. They got the hot hand. They got the starting pitcher, Charlie Morton, Morton yep. uh, came in and was able to, to do as well as any reliever that they had had. So they didn't have to rely upon the bullpen because they're down to there's no there's no tomorrow. Right, that's what saved them. They didn't have to hold back anything and say, "Well, we got to hold this pitcher for next the next game." There's no next game. This is it.
1: Well, that's the big difference in the two teams. One team played like that, and the other really didn't, in my opinion. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that the if we take a look at first thing is we're talking about Game Seven, and what we've done is we've completely ignored probably two of the more exciting baseball games in in World Series history uh game two was one in which it went into it was a flip-flop uh, seesaw back and forth uh game in which there were eight home runs the game was decided in in extra innings in which <clears throat> when I saw the uh the, the recap of this and it said there were five home runs hit in the 10th in the 10th and 11th inning and it said the most in 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 history, and I thought they meant postseason history. No history in Major League history. Yeah, this had never happened before, so you have an incredibly exciting uh, uh, game two, with all this back and forth. And and by the way, the heat is on because the interesting feature about the games, the first two games in LA, is the first game was played with a temperature of hundred and three degrees at night, mm-hmm. and the second one was ninety three degrees. That's
1: no problem for so Houston. that
0: kind of. No, it is not in addition to the fact that the heat uh usually brings forth better hitting mm-hmm. and uh so as a result that kind of played into Houston's hands since they were the 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 more powerful team in terms of home runs. Yep. So then you figure this game is unparalleled, nothing like it will ever happen again. And before you know it, we get to game five. <laughs> Another extra inning game, yep. seven home runs. Wow. We've got a walk off, and it's Thirteen to twelve with a humongous—I mean, a gigantic score! Wow, so, that's a lot of uh, runs. I think it's a lot of runs. Uh, by the way, and it's also a lot of runs in a close game. Yeah,
1: by the way, that's seven. That's you know, that's seven. That's seven home runs. What was the record? Well, they eight was the record. Now, how does seven mm-hmm. match up? Seven home runs.
0: Well, seven was the previous was the previous oh. record, and I think it was in the uh, two thousand two World Series. That was the, were the angels and the giants. So it, it isn't like they eclipsed five or six, right. seven, I had been the record. In addition to the fact, if you take a look at the whole world series, I think that was the most home runs ever hit in a world series, too. I think it was like 25. Yeah, it is. So there, it was home run. There was a lot of home runs is what it boils down right. to. Right. Right. But <clears throat> the, the other thing that I, I see as we take a look at these games is the strategy. And Ah. the fact is that the Dodgers' strategy was, their bullpen was their was one of their strengths. Uh Coming into the World Series, their bullpen had 23 scoreless innings. So as a result, their manager had a very quick hook when it comes to taking some of their pitchers out. And pitchers such as Kershaw and uh, and also Rich Hill, who did a good job, these guys are pulled like after four. Five innings when they still look like they could do very well. Kershaw's good. I and like guess his
1: pitching. He was good.
0: Oh, yeah. Kershaw pitched a great game in the first one and obviously in game six. So he, you know, has overcome a stigma because prior to this World Series, he had had some, uh, even as he's considered the greatest pitcher right now in baseball and had done well in regular season. Previous World Series, he had not done that well. So he had this kind of stigma. Yeah. Choker. Image that. Yeah, he had a choker image, which I think he's been able to er- 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 yeah. erase yeah. as a result of this World Series. So the uh, I think the Dodger manager overmanaged, and you know, even though you got twenty-three scoreless innings, what does that say? Well, it says you're due to have some maybe lousy bullpen. Well, yeah, Be- yeah, uh, you know, outing.
1: Yeah, that's why I would look at it. you and I are superstitious though.
0: Yeah, I uh, there's a lot of that too. So in fact, what I did is I'd watch the. Uh, I went to my local watering hole, one that we've talked about and actually broadcast from the Clarksford Ale House to watch game six. And I told everybody, I said, they lost. The Astros did when I'm watching it here. I'm not coming out. I'm watching the game alone at home yeah. for game seven. Yeah. Good call. And that's all because of my superstition. Uh, let's just kind of wrap this piece up by saying that, uh, the World Series MVP was a, a ball player named George Springer. And I think the way that he demonstrated he was able to do this, George did not have a very good, uh, uh, postseason up to that point. In fact, did not done very well in the nationally, uh, the American League championship series against the Yankees. In addition to that, now George is an outfielder. Right. Center fielder had a very good season, very good season, uh, 37 home runs. So in the first game of the World Series George proceeds to strike out four times. <sighs> but what does he do? he do? It's what I say he didn't let failure get in the way of start hitting dingers. He hit dingers in the next five six games and ended up hitting what I've already mentioned the crucial homer in game 7 that
1: stretched that lead yep. from
0: 3 game six. Runs to 5.
1: Dude, dude, game 6. Dude, game 6? Yeah. He said 7.
0: Well, game seven is when he hit the home run in the final game. It
1: didn't go seven. It went six, did didn't it? Oh, no, you're right. It did go seven. It did go seven. Jesus. Okay, sorry.
0: Yeah, that's Uh, okay. I've got notes in front of me. You're trying to wing it with your uh, senior memory. That's okay. Senior memory.
1: (laughs) Well, you know what it was. I I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. I called it. I said it were six games. I said it was a six-game series. So I, I guess I've deluded myself.
0: No you you're working on what's called revisionist history here. That sh-
1: I sure am. I, c- I could be president. <laughs> I could be the president of the United States.
0: Oh, but um, and then to highlight the uh the final game, uh you know, we've got uh Carlos Correa at the end of the game <laughs> proposing to his bride to be. Oh, that was so cool. Uh, Miss Texas USA. Oh yeah. Where he oh, that was you talk about uh, Timing and everything, he gets on his knee and flashes a a doggone rock. I mean, if that poor lady's gonna have to cart that thing around, she's gonna get her arm's gonna get sore, that's right, just because of the sheer weight of (laughs) of her hardware. I already
1: know she's got a sore back, and now she's just gonna have a sore arm on top of it. (laughs) No comment,
0: oh boy, Uh, I
1: I, yeah, I can't believe I said that. that. I can't believe I said that, god,
0: but um. so I I just think the everything about it the the excitement uh, the Astros winning they're the team that was destined to win was all good and I just wanted to I think it's important that we bring it up because it gives us a chance to enjoy it once again. Oh yeah, as we talk about it here. Yeah, this
1: is like this is so. like you had some really good barbecue <laughs> down at the Salt Lake, and you know it's you know Ooh. three four hours later and you know you belch and you taste that. Good barbecue all over again. <laughs> uh, what? What? Did I say something wrong?
0: Yeah, you're right. I've, I've I, A, been there, done okay. that. You are absolutely right. Okay. So, yeah, Astros, Astros,
1: Astros. Yay, Dr. Yang, Christopher Yang, my urologist. <laughs> he's so happy. By the way, my urologist actually knows John's urologist. That's the craziest thing. And he's in Chicago, and Chris is down here in in Austin. Amazing.
0: It's just a small urologist world out there. Well,
1: they both went to school in Chicago, I guess. <laughs> but anyways.
0: Oh Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, we we just gotta keep the the Houston Astro theme continual.
1: Yeah, let's do it, John. How are we gonna do that? But what desperate measures will we take?
0: Well, what we're gonna do <laughs> we're gonna go we're gonna get so desperate because really what, desperate. what I was able to do and, and I was able not to find But last Saturday, after a podcast and getting ready for the the World Series game, I flipped on the TV and I ran across this movie called Night Game. Now, this movie, so I felt, uh, after watching it, I said, I just can't resist. In spite of the fact that this movie does have a few flaws, I felt...
1: uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's the only movie I know of that you cannot watch. Uh, I can't, I, you can't stream it or anything because it, it it only existed in that moment in time. And I don't think we'll see it ever again for years, but we're going to talk about it.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the fact is that this movie, it was a not only a Houston movie filmed on location in Houston and Galveston, but it is a Houston Astros movie. Yep. So uh, the, the fact is that the director... Uh, and not a household name by the name of Peter Masterson, is from Houston. So he felt, look, if I'm going to have to make a movie like this, I might as well stay at home yeah, yeah. so I can <laughs> commute back and forth. Oh, <laughs> so man. the location was changed from San Francisco. And, you know, you're saying, well, uh, it's, a, it's a Houston Astro movie. But the fact is, how many movies are there that have been actually been made in Houston? Exactly. Uh, and if we take a look at it, Probably Brewster McCloud back in 1970 71 uh, was made. It, it, it featured, in fact, if you take a look at every movie, it's, not every, but the four that I can find that have been made in Houston, they all seem to be attracted by the fact of a certain architect, architectural delight significant item, and that is the Astrodome. Exactly. So, yeah, so the Astrodome is featured in Brewster McCloud. And there were two other movies. One was called Murder at the World Series. Oh, I don't even, I didn't even want to go there. And it, it featured the Astros too. So this isn't the only movie that had the Astros in it. And then we've got uh, Bad News Bears break, break Training. And the highlight of the movie is the bad fact news bears that they break can play baseball. <laughs> oh, please. Oh. We got to get through this. Okay, okay, okay. sorry. So. Let's move. So what we have is typically what we give is we give a spoiler alert. We're going to give you a movie alert, and that is beware. You might not want to watch this movie.
1: <laughs> well, the spoiler alert is this movie is spoiled. It's beyond its expiration date or something. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is just crazy. Yeah. But first of all, if lim- you've ever been to Houston, limited shelf yeah, life. I mean, in Texas, you know, there's only one place to live in Texas. Everyone wants to live in Austin because it's really nice. but not many people want to live in Houston. There's only a couple reasons you'd want to, and one of them is money. You know, if you're an oil guy or a finance guy, that might be a good reason. And you know, they have some nice gated communities and what have you. But the weather is terrible. Uh, it's unbelievably humid. Everything smells like mold. The airport, especially, and uh, man, it is this. The traffic's terrible. Uh, it's a sprawling city that was done without any zoning. We've talked about that before. And uh, it's not a place you want to go. And I avoid it at all costs. I've had a couple clients down there, and I try not to go. But luckily, there's a movie that captures the mystique of this charming city, and it's called Night Game.
0: I'll tell you, last week we talked about the big Sick and we were talking about the the various plot themes. Mm -hmm. And so as I take a look at this movie, uh, I well, you know, I was trying to, in search of a plot theme is is the way you could describe this, because even though it's got baseball in it, there's really no baseball players. There's very little game action in the movie, so it's not a baseball movie. I wouldn't exactly call it a detective uh, murder movie, because... Other than uh, the, the star of the movie, Royce Scheider, uh, they're, 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 the detectives don't do a very good job. Mm. And I wouldn't call it a slasher movie. It's got a serial killer, but there's no graphic pilot. Wow. So it's a, it's a movie without a theme, is the way I look at well, it. Well, maybe,
1: could so, we say it's um, an Astrodome movie?
0: Yeah, I I think, but I would say that uh there's a lot of the, the killings themselves don't take place in the Well That's, that's, so uh, I guess I, I'm, I, I am sure that everybody at this point is thinking, what the hell is this movie all about? Can, can, <laughs> can, all you, we've can done you tell us? Say what it is. Can you tell us? <laughs> I think I've been able to put concisely, succinctly, in one sentence, I can describe this movie. Baseball-crazy homicide detective cracks down serial killer with Astro's connection before his bride-to-be gets the hook. Oh, my God. That's it. Wow. That tells the whole movie. Y-
1: you Now, let me get this straight. You weren't in this movie, were you?
0: <laughs> no, I'm not. The, I didn't play the homicide detective. Oh, okay. No, oh, <laughs> okay. I did oh, oh, I had to ask. God. I had Don't. to ask. So, if you want to kind of just maybe a couple more sentences on the plot, a baseball crazy homicide detective, in fact, this, this homicide detective, he's a homicide detective in Galveston where the murders take place, which is reasonably close to Houston. Seems to, he's a part-time baseball fan and a, he's a full-time baseball fan and a part-time homicide detective. He doesn't seem to be very smart. Um, so what he does is he is, you know, given the task of uh, of tracking down this serial killer, so fortunately, he knows a lot of baseball. And if he he constantly has the base, if he's not at the ball game, he has the baseball game on the radio. So he's got baseball on the brain. Huh? Imagine and that. That is going to be very important. It can happen. Really? I've been told. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. And. The thing about it is that all of a sudden, as he's listening to the game and he realizes that the killings seem to be taking place when a certain Houston Astros pitcher wins a game. So he realizes the light bulb goes on. He's got it figured out. He then finds out that he then goes, because it's so obvious, what he needs to do is he needs to find out what pitcher got sent down when this rising star who's winning these games Got brought up and was promoted. He then finds out that that pitcher ended up going down, and not only that, but he was subject. He was in a in a bus accident, whereby his left hand, his pitching hand, was uh was you know decapitated or taken off. He, He lost it, and so as a result, he doesn't have a hand anymore on that arm. He has a hook. So before you know it. He puts two and two together and realizes it's number murder one, he's weapon. going to be able to figure out when murder weapon, he, he's going to know when the next murder is going to take place because as soon as that guy pitches and wins a game, he knows that that's going to happen. Now, you're going to say, well, what motivates a serial killer to now use the winning game as what's going to kick him off and make him kill? Well, it's so obvious because you see he feels that he should be out there pitching, and so as a result, he wants to get the headline in the newspaper the next day. So the way he does that, he ends up becoming a serial killer and kills somebody the same day that the guy wins the game. He probably
1: didn't even enjoy
0: it. I, I'll tell you, he's I he, I don't think he did. Wow. I think you. I think that's another. Well, the... You're very insightful. Okay. And that's something that uh, you you can you can become insightful with respect to this movie without watching it.
1: Well, yeah. What choice did I
0: have? And you've just demonstrated that. Wow.
1: Well, okay. A couple quick questions here. <laughs> oh. Which, uh, which hand got, uh, and by the way, hands cannot be de- de- well. decapitated. That's a head. Uh,
0: I know, I know, I, I try <laughs> to correct myself. What are they amputated yeah. or cut off, yeah. sliced and so, diced?
1: Yeah. So which, which one was it? His throwing, throwing hand?
0: Yes, throwing hand, which was his left okay, hand. Okay. So. Ooh. I
1: would imagine he was pretty good with that hook. He had the muscles to do it. He had the muscle memory to wind up and whack. Did he Did he do a wind-up, I wonder? That'd be cool. <laughs>
0: no, he, 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 yeah, he probably, uh, there were no men on base when he, <laughs> when he uh, let go with his pitching <laughs> delivery, so as a result, he didn't have to hold on a runner and got a lot of force behind the hook. Oh, man. I have answers to all your questions. I, you noticed that? I did,
1: that? and you, you, you know, <laughs> you sound remarkably as, as, uh, as bullshitty as I usually do, so I like that. Okay, roll, roll, turnabout is fair play. Okay,
0: so you're probably, you know, you're wondering what was the critical reception to this movie. I'm not First thing wondering. is, there's not a lot of reviews of this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who's wondering out there? Raise your hands.
0: Oh, no hands, John. Well, <laughs> <not> cut off. <laughs> so. The thing is that, um, I was able not to find many reviews. In fact, I, there, there was in the wiki, uh, entry for this movie, there was a mention of a New York Times, uh, review. I couldn't find the whole review. I'm sure that, that it, it got it's cut like, off, you know, just taken out of the records. <laughs> <It got laughs> cut off at the hand.
1: The guy was writing the thing and so, somebody cut his hand
0: off. Sorry. <laughs> God. But the thing is that, uh, the, the this review and I have to I have to give you a little preview on the casting. Roy Scheider I've already mentioned of of Jaws fame. Uh yeah. He co-starred in a movie with a shark. He also co-starred in French Connection. With,
1: yeah, he was in French Connection, but also Dean Hackman. Also, uh, that, that Dustin Hoffman movie with the dental work that was good. Marathon Man.
0: Oh yeah, he had a, you know what he had a, a nice uh, a role, very significant role at the His, beginning. Dustin Hoffman's brother
1: who bled out. Who is a spy? God, yeah. that that's a real movie.
0: It's another one. Yeah. Uh, so he he actually was in three real movies. I don't know too much about the other ones uh, that he was, except for, of course, this one. So uh, the the New York Times had an interesting comment. They they said that even a shark could not save this. Movie. Oh man, <laughs> that's good. But now this this movie actually came out in 1989. Uh, not a limited, uh, uh, screening. Uh, it, I, I'm only saying that through, uh, the fact that its box office receipts were $300,000 nationwide. Wow. That's all the money it what made. What it cost to make, I wonder. So, uh, it, it, I have no idea, uh, too much. That's all I yeah. can say. Um <laughs> wow. So then, um uh, it, it went directly to, uh, at this point, VHS back in 89. So uh, what they did, and I have no idea who made this call, they decided to then reissue the movie in DVD and Blu-ray in 2015, which brought forth another set of reviews. So I took a look at those reviews with a very, very open mind. You mean
1: I could have gotten a DVD of this?
0: Oh, yes. In fact, we will talk about that because, you see, that's the only way you can get this movie now, is buying it. For twenty bucks, uh, through I found it on in Best Buy's. Uh, you can put it through their uh internet, you know, sales. Wow. So, uh, but again, we're gonna uh, we're jumping the gun here because I wanted. Okay, okay, okay. I don't want anybody to come to the conclusion that we're, we're suggesting that you buy this movie. No. And we've implied that by just oh, mentioning. Oh, that was that. bad.
1: Bad Brothers.
0: I kept a I kept a very open mind, as I took a look at the reviews, the ones at the not so popular websites, such as like the Slasher movie website and the Through Shattered Lens website and the off-the-shelf website. You know, I couldn't find what you call the Roger Ebert or the, the big newspapers or even the Austin What Chronicle didn't have this review. No. But out of the three, I picked three reviews and with an open mind, I was able to find the words in these reviews that I thought were positive.
1: You had to redact the reviews, didn't you? You redacted the reviews.
0: <laughs> I did. Mean, yeah. And here's what I had left.
1: This is really getting bad. <laughs> Go ahead. What what are these stellar words?
0: Three words. One of them described it as entertaining. <laughs> the other one described it as what? Watchable. <laughs> watchable. And the third one <laughs> That's the best that, I could that's find. That's great praise. And, then the third one called it "Good Nature."
1: Good nature,
0: <laughs> slasher movie. Good, good
1: nature—that's nature. like the guy who the, the girl tells him, "You're a nice guy," right?
0: Yeah. Good nature. What a date! You were really swell. Yeah, Wally. Good,
1: uh, good. Good afternoon, Mrs. Cleaver. Can Theodore come out? <laughs>
0: So the availability, there's good news and bad <laughs> news here. The the bad news is that bad, it's the bad very news limited is the good news. To, <laughs> yes. you don't have a lot of chances of getting this movie. Uh in fact, the, you the, don't look to stream this movie because you can't find it. Amazon, Netflix, no, nope, no, nope. don't even go uh-huh. there. Uh they're smart enough not to have this in their inventory. Even
1: YouTube doesn't but, have it. And they have everything. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, YouTube doesn't have it. So um, the thing is that if you do want to get it, you'd have to pay twenty bucks to go to Best Buy and buy it on DVD. And I'm sorry, the Blu-ray version sold oh, out. Wow! <laughs> I don't hey, know. That I has. was
1: going to get a Blu-ray system just to watch this movie. Damn! <laughs> now I got to. This would be I'm interesting too. I wonder if you could buy it online, or do you have to go to the store? That'd be interesting too.
0: I, I i it was one of those where you put it in the cart on the internet uh, i don't i don't think i'd race out the best Buy to uh, search for this movie it's gonna i say that you might have an outside chance you know when you go there and you see the big uh ben uh in the in the middle of it where they throw all the movies into a big you know yeah the uh, ship movies container that you that that, yeah, that you gotta if you gotta dig way down the bottom to get the one that you might want uh here so what are we gonna finish up with? Let's just say that in spite of all that we've told you about this movie, your interest is peaked and you still want to get a little bit of a taste. I would suggest that you Google it YouTube and you can find the movie trailer. You can watch that, and I think that's all you really need when it comes to the night game. Wow. So Wow. Uh
1: yeah, we got through it though, John. We got a, through it. I'm okay. Experience. Are you okay? We did. Are you okay?
0: I'm, I'm, yeah. Okay. I, I, I feel, I feel very good. I'm glad I was able to get that out. I think it's important that we kept that, that Houston theme continuing, and we were able to do it through the first two segments, of our podcast. So now we need to move on to more serious matters. Yeah,
1: we, we do. And
0: they are very serious.
1: Yeah, this is a, this is a serious thing and that uh, has been fumbled uh, a lot by a lot of people. So. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of blame to go around here, but let's not play the blame game. Let's talk about what it is the OP, opioid crisis. It is hard to say. You're
0: right. You're catching the same illness I've yeah. got. Yeah. Be careful. All
1: right. Opie.
0: Opioid. I Yes. Thank you. I have a picture of Opie um, right here. And I think what's what how I do it. You well know, the thing is that uh as we take a look at this one, I think what piqued our interest was the uh our illustrious. President decided that he could tackle this problem. He might not be able to get health care to get through, but he can, he can, he has a solution. Yeah. He, uh, he apparently, uh, one night when he wasn't tweeting, all of a sudden the light bulb went on and he decided that he was going to have a press conference and was going to figure out how this problem could be solved by one man, namely the President of the United States. Yeah. And so that's what kind of piqued our interest to start out. Yeah. And his answer really was don't uh, do it. Yeah. It's like, uh, just say no yeah he
1: that's a that,
0: I've heard that and before, this is the I first time heard.
1: that's ever been done i think he said too this is earth shattering solution to the problem and then of course he uses his uh, exec, was it an executive order john or what was this thing he did
0: well what he did is he called it a uh, national um, uh, health emergency a national health emergency and no one knew what that having was it just right be a na- no one really knew yeah uh well the the the, the fact is that there is actually a category like that and there's also what are called national emergencies which typically are one of the ones we've had up to this point recently with the hurricanes and those are easily funded but when it comes to calling something a national health emergency your funding is like less than a 100,000 especially
1: when you don't have a but, treatment you know, you don't it, have a treatment plan you don't have a plan I mean, there's nothing you can do his
0: plan Well, the 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 fact is that uh, if you don't have a plan, you don't have to spend a lot of money either.
1: Oh, and you don't have to do any work. This is perfect, right?
0: So it fits his uh, the cat. It fits his qualifications for you know the kinds of things he's working on now. I mean, let's not under, let's not undermine or let's keep this on the on the up and up. uh, Take the high road here. So why don't you you know we call this a crisis, and maybe you can give a little bit of background is to really what we're talking about when we say the opioid uh, crisis.
1: Okay. Well, disclaimer, I I was never an opioid person. So I I have to say that because I Mm -hmm. think many comments my brother makes during this podcast leave the impression that I was or am or something a drug addict, but it's not true. And I haven't had any drugs since 1970. The last drugs I had, I had with you, John.
0: Oh, really? All of a sudden, you suck me into it. Hi. <laughs> right. Well, okay. But the bottom, bottom line, line is, is that when it comes to, I I try not to get specific you're not, you're with respect not to make this your personal, problem. But I, I, I try I'm to sensitive. just generally say you are trouble and leave it at that, okay? Well, well, I think
1: that's fair, though. That's fair. You're right. Okay, let's just move on. Uh, opioids. Okay, now, first of all, an opioid is synthetic. That's what it's supposed to be. It's a a synthetic morphine-like drug that was originally geared at controlling pain, pain management. About 20 years ago, uh, the doctors all got together at some uh, who knows what and decided that, hey, you know, this is a crisis. Pain management is a crisis, and we need to just really attack this aggressively. And there's new classes of drugs we could be using and stuff. And they encouraged drug makers to help them out here. And they started really prescribing these things. And these are, when I say opioids, technically they are uh, created in a laboratory. And so, Mm -hmm. however, the opioid crisis as it's defined today not only includes these synthetic painkillers, it also includes the good old stuff that's made from plants, poppies. That's, you know, morphine, opium, heroin. Now heroin has, you know, a fair amount of lab work connected with it, but it's still derived directly from a plant. So, you know, if you're a drug dealer and you know you are looking to get as much profit as possible, this is this is a little tough, tough way to go. You've got these Opium fields, these opium poppies growing in various places around the world, they get raided all the time by all these uh, pain in the ass uh, uh, drug czars and stuff like that going after, you know, the drug, the drug problem. And, of course, none of it works, but still, it's, it's a pain in the ass for these poor cartel people. So, what happened? Well, they discovered, why bother with all that when we can make this in a laboratory anywhere and no one can find the laboratory? And of course, you know, when a new technology comes to the front, there's always one country that really does a good job, and that's China. So they are like at the tip of the pyramid. They make the very best synthetic uh, opioid, and that is fentanyl. And that is at the peak of the pyramid of painkillers, and it's 50 to 100 times more powerful than morphine. And it is about that many times more addictive. And so this is kind of what really, I think, kicked the crisis into high gear. And what happens here is this somebody has an accident or something, and they have pain, and the doctor says, take these, and boy, are they good. And after the pain's gone, still takes them. And why is that? It's because this class of drugs, these newer drugs, they not only uh, handle pain management, but they also supply a feeling of well-being, better known as euphoria. Now, so this that's the thing that gets people taking them longer. And that's the biggest reason we had the crisis. If you add to that, you know, uh, 2008, everyone, a lot of people lost their 401ks, a big crash, the real estate bubble popped. 2001, the dot-com bust. There's been several downturns in the economy, and then all these jobs go to India and the Philippines and stuff, and there's a lot of people scrambling to try and just get through the day and pay a mortgage and feed their kids and take some opioids. So that's kind of how this got to where it is, and these drugs are, some of them have been around for a long time. John, you brought up Vicodin, you know.
0: Vigodin, yeah. Vigodin's been around for a long time. Uh, I would say that when I take a look at this and the U.S.'s, uh, approach to this is what well, the way they approach everything. And that is let's make something bigger, better, and more powerful. Sounds like Texas. I mean, cars. Yeah. Texas was, is probably the state that kind of represents that to the greatest, yep. the greatest. But I, I take a look at right now with respect to, uh, uh, I'm a, I like, uh, you know, craft beers. Well, What's happened with craft beers? Well, we had a beer that's a craft beer that had 6%. Well, we can make a better one than that. Let's make one that's 9%. Yep. I just think the mindset of the idea that better can be done by making it more powerful, uh, bigger, etc. And you have that here with respect to the drug. I also think that the pain management thing is doctors quite often, you know, more people complaining about Get them out of the office. Doctors say, well, I got a quick, yeah, get them out of the office. I got the pill for you. Um, And I'll tell you, it's amazing. The other thing that happens is that people, if a doctor, for example, uh, this is I've seen in the the field of oncology, and I'm not going to point out any specific doctors, but they they are dealing with treating a a death-threatening illness such as cancer. And what they look at it and say, well, look, hey, you you need a prescription? How many do you need? Uh, you know, without even questioning it, because their mindset is, well, this person is you know uh, in a critical state of health, close to dying. Let's just give them some pills. What the hell? Yeah. Oh, I
1: mean, yeah, so, that's the situation I was in. You know, I didn't. They didn't even say how many. I just got a bottle with it was sixty hydrocodone in it, and I needed two. Wouldn't thirty wouldn't so, thirty have done it, had, yeah. you know or <laughs> you know what I'm saying here? And, and I could I yeah. can get any drugs I want. I could be making a good living right now as a stage four cancer guy because I can go to any of my doctors and they will give me as many painkillers as I would like. And they've offered.
0: It happens. Yeah. I've seen it with uh with my with Marge, my wife, and I and I've also seen it with myself, uh, where th- that, that will happen. Mm. I also think that you mentioned that. Super powerful fentanyl drug. Fentanyl. Yeah, let about that. What we have here, that is that is what you call scary stuff for a variety of reasons. One is that since you're taking it in a, in pill form, quite often it's it's hard to identify a fentanyl pill from some other kind of pill, and so it is so easy. To overdose with this, it isn't like well you got to stick a needle in your arm or something uh-uh. like that to do it. It's just got pop a pill.
1: Well, worse than that, it's actually a lot worse uh-uh. than that. Here's the bad thing about it, and and you know by the way that we didn't really cover the uh, the evolution of the problem. That what happened is that oh, yeah, yeah people people went to the doctor, they got their prescription, they took their painkillers, they liked them, they did they got more, couldn't get any more from that doctor, went to another doctor. And so people do the multi-doctor thing, and they need one doctor to take care of their habit, and then the other two doctors are their supply, and they start selling thirty dollars a pill. That's pretty good. That's that's a good business. So they're doing that with oxy, oxycodone. Uh, they're doing that with uh, uh, hydrocodone. You know that that's what we're talking about here with that kind of stuff. So what happens is now they close the loophole of uh, the doctor's check in most states. You can't go multi-doctor anymore. So the price of the pill goes up and economics kicks in and these happy little addicts say, wait a minute, this costs too much money. Why am I bothering that? I can get heroin at half that price. So now we got these prescription drug abusers now becoming street drug abusers. Now once they hit the street, they will never know what it is they're ingesting, snorting, smoking, or injecting. They have no freaking idea. So... What do these drug dealers do? Hey, these poppy derived drugs are just too risky. Our supply line is getting interrupted. This is bad for business. Why don't we do this? We can just take a little of that fentanyl and lace it into the heroin. And that way we have to use less heroin and we'll have very happy users. Well, the users are maybe happy, but they're not very smart because they're always kind of increasing their dosage because they figure. Hey, the more I take, the more tolerant my body gets of it, so I have to take a little more. Just a little bit more of uh, fentanyl-laced heroin will kill you, just like within less than a minute. It's really fast. And just to give you an idea, if you get pure fentanyl, uh, John, there's a little test for you. How much pure fentanyl do you think it takes to kill somebody, overdose them? What do you think?
0: well i would say that you could you could just barely touch and get a little on your skin that is the and you could probably die from that's it that's
1: correct the the quantity is 3 grains approximately the size of salt grains
0: wow yeah
1: that kind of brings it home so fentanyl is bad 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 plus the first responders have a terrible problem too if or the law enforcement law enforcement if you hit a fentanyl lab You better wear your hazmat uh, suit because one one guy and I don't know which police uh, uh, department this was, but he was walking out to go on shift. Uh, Someone was walking in and he got jostled and his hand, hit the back of this guy's jacket, just touched it. And within three minutes, he was on the floor overdosing from fentanyl. The guy, the -hmm. the cop going out on, on his beat was on the floor foaming. Uh, the, you know, you do this whole thing with your, ugh. but yeah, these ODs are, are tragic, terrible and, and what have you. And that, that's what going, and that's how we got here. That's what the real problem is. And it's just, these super drugs are killing people right and left because they don't know how to manage them. And what do you do? <coughs> are we going to start, you know, member in in the, in the uh, a lot of these crisis that, well, we're going to hand out clean needles, you know, at least people won't die of AIDS. What are we going to do here? Are we going to we're we going to teach people how to how to mix their uh their uh, fentanyl laced heroin? What the proper dosages are? I mean, really, this is terrible stuff. So let let's let's blow back past that and let's go to okay. I'm I'm hooked on all these drugs. How do I get out of this?
0: Well, I, one of the things I I think to point out the magnitude of the problem is that in two thousand Sixteen. The number of uh, Americans that were killed as a result of this is well over sixty thousand. A dramatic increase from the previous year. Correct. So it's, I would imagine we can expect that the amount of of people that are are ODing and dying from it in two thousand seventeen is going to even be worse. So I think it's important for us to, to you know to to lay out the problem in terms of of of, of the amount of people that are that are the affected by it. The other thing I find interesting about this is that you would think that this is a a and you've kind of alluded to this and with the people that are, are taking it, you would think, well, is this like the the good old days with heroin and all this and that, is it a city problem only? It's not only not only a not a it's it's a bigger problem in the rural areas. If you take a look at the states that have most of the problems of the greater number of people, it's Alabama, Mississippi, it's all these rural type states. So it, it's crazy. And again, that that feeds into the fact that unemployment, uh rust belt or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you get people on rural areas that are you know, saying, well, gee, when I, I've lost my job. What am I going to do?
1: Yeah, I was going to mention that there's a uh, there's a uh, a daily show. You know, that's the New York Times podcast. It's really good. Twenty two mm-hmm. minutes. And they had a segment with a, a young man who was a. Uh, 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 a recovering addict, and he told his story, and it was chilling. Uh, his mother went into business with him on this, and was also an addict. So, and his father was a was a minister, was a was a pastor. Mm. I mean,
0: whew, wow. Yeah, it, that uh... was.
1: Ooh. So let, let's talk about what. You, let's talk about that guy. How did he get clean? What's that process like? And of course, you know we all have this thing from well, John and I, when we were kids, there were beatniks and and all that stuff, and there was kind of a heroin problem, and and you know lots of movies depicted it and and all that. But here it is; it's in Middle America, like you say. And what does this look like in a clinical setting? If someone wanted to get clean, what what would they go through? They would go through what's called AWS, uh, acute withdrawal symptoms. Okay, so. That is, could be anywhere from a week to a month that would take, and it's diarrhea, vomiting, uh, extreme irritability, uh, red weepy eyes, running nose, uh, cramps, un- unbelievable cramps, a lot of pain. But it's acute, it's fast, it happens, it's all done with within a matter of weeks. But here comes the the really bad part. The bad part is post acute withdrawal symptoms or pause as they call it PAWS, that can go on for as long as a year or even two wow. and yeah this is mm. and you know people are starting to compare this to a war the it's already they said more people have died from this than all the soldiers who died in vietnam uh, american soldiers
0: right
1: so it's big. Number two, it has another common feature, and that's it's got its own form of PT PTSD, uh, uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. And it's not stress. This is pause, and it's different. It's uh, mostly psychological and emotional. It's like uh, ooh, extreme uh, depression, extreme highs, extreme lows. It's a roller coaster of emotions. Physiologically, there's stuff going on, too. Uh, your body's trying to operate uh, properly. Now there are there are treatment plans that use uh, what's it called, John? Nax something? Uh, it's the drug that EMS gives you when you're OD, and it can bring you back from the dead within seconds.
0: Well, yeah, they do have a drug. Yeah, there is one here that that you can take yeah. that will. Uh, and you know yeah. that that presents problems in itself because if you, yes if if you have uh, uh these, that can kill you too the addicts who who know that there's a backup plan to revive them what will they yep. do they'll get they'll recover from their uh, that from their OD and then they'll go back to the drug again so it's uh yep. it, it could be a vicious circle
1: it could be but this is also part of a recovery plan this is called a uh, uh an opiate uh, an opiate a- antagonist so what this mm, does is it right. blocks It blocks the receptors that are receiving these drugs and providing you with pain relief and euphoria and nullifies them. So you can take the drug if you want, but you're not going to get high. And by the way, this is also used for alcohol addiction. And John, you and I have talked about that offline in the last year for a friend of ours. So this is a real drug, and it really does work, but it has to be administered. Uh, A doctor has to do it. So the way it works with alcohol is you take this pill, And you can drink as much as you want, but you're not going to get high because these receptors are being blocked. And the same thing happens with this. As part of a treatment plan, you can use it to treat uh, opiate uh, addiction or opioid addiction. And it has to be administered carefully, though. (laughs) There's a lot, and sometimes it's used in combination with a very mild opiate so that the person's uh, withdrawal symptoms. Don't get the better of them. What they're trying to do is they're trying to deal with AWS and PAWS because these Mm -hmm. are this is the hard this is the sharp end of the stick. Really, everybody thinks the sharp end of the stick is the needles, but it's not. That's that's how you get there. But the real problem is, what are we going to do now that we've got these people and you know they they want to they've hit bottom and they want to change all this stuff. These are are what they have to go through, and it's not pleasant. And by the way, it's not cheap. So. The president declaring this a national emergency is great, but what we really need is we need some real experts to put their heads together, come up with a real program that really treats this, and fund it, and get the job done, and quit farting around, and quit playing politics with this. It's not a political football. This is really a crisis. This is a war that we have lost, and mm-hmm. and it, the casualties are high. The number of people dying from this is very, very high. So there are tools that people could use to fix this problem. There, I'm sure there are institutes and and therapists and doctors who have had high levels of success in treating this. They need to get to Washington and help these guys craft a program because this is one of the things government is good for.
0: Very good well, a couple for of comments I have. Uh, n- number one is that, um, and I don't want to get into a lot of detail, but part of the challenges we have with respect to the Trump administration is that even if he says, look, we need to have a drug czar, the bottom line is that he's had so many vacant positions in his government that there is no go-to guy that you could even put there now. Correct. So, uh, so you got money, you got an issue in terms of people. And I'll tell you, we've talked about this before, and that is that when you really want to have some action, quite often what you need to do is you need to go beyond the federal, be below the federal level. And I did a little research and found out since this problem isn't what I would call urban centric, it's not right. just in urban ent- areas. It's pervasive throughout all parts of, of the country. So as a result, it, what, what I found, is that the level of government that seems to be picking up on this is the state level and governors. Mm-hmm. There's an organization called the National Governors Association, and they have made a very, very strong statement as to what needs to be done at a state level in terms of getting their state agencies involved so that we don't, they're not going to wait around and twiddle their thumbs. They're very aware of the problems that you've already shown how yeah. critical they are. And they see that we need to address them now. We can't wait for the president. We can't wait for the federal government. we got to do something now.
1: No, the federal government can't pass anything in in the legislature. So let's forget about that. And you're right. You're right. The governors. And uh, it's too bad it's not the mayors because the mayors definitely, I think, in my opinion, do a better job. There's a lot of really crappy governors.
0: The fact is that the the uh, it isn't that the mayors at this point have and I've we've talked about uh, the the United States uh, Conference of Mayors uh, that presently is headed by Mitch uh, Landrew, they have made a statement and they uh but there has been more I think at this point, uh talking words although I can tell you here in Chicago that uh, our our mayor Mayor Rahm Emanuel has decided to throw some money. Into the problem here specifically, so I think that there are some selected mayors that are doing it, but I think they're looking uh, right now. the The problem seems to be addressed um, more at the state level, and maybe it will trickle down. But there are there are certain ones: Philadelphia, New York, and Chicago yeah. are probably the ones I've read about. The the mayors that have decided to take a bull by the horns and well, let's let's not wait around. Let's make something happen. I think the other Um,
1: thing, too, is let's not forget that, you know, and we talked about what caused this. Part of it is the availability of these drugs, and they're super drugs, and they do a very good job, and and they can be made in a laboratory. That's all real. But the other thing is uh, employment, Uh, you know, stagnating wages. These are some of the things that, you know, they've become political footballs, but they're really part of the solution, too, is they people... Need jobs, you know. How long, John, have you and I heard people in the federal government, from the presidents on down, talk about these great infrastructure programs that we're, we're going to have, that put all these mm-hmm. people to work? Where where are these programs? I wonder.
0: I I agree with you. I mean, we've we everybody every uh, administration uh, has their own spin on how this is going to happen. And uh, it just seems like it just falls by the wayside. And uh, it either something is tried that's not effective or quite often it's just not tried at all. So. Yeah,
1: I mean, this is the time to do something like that. And, you know, uh, there's a conservative element in the government that doesn't want any spending whatsoever. And I understand that sentiment. There's a, there's a lot of waste. No argument. However, there's some programs that just work, you know, and all you have to do is study a little history, you know. Look back at what happened when, you know, some catastrophe happened, like 1929. Look at all the stuff uh, Roosevelt did, you know, the WPA, uh, the Tennessee Valley Association, all those dams and all that stuff. Now, you know, Tennessee, there, there's a place that was really depressed at that time, and they just brought them back from the dead with all these programs. And they were building dams all over the place. They even got out-of-work artists to draw these murals all over the place. And they had a full employment initiative. And that's really what needs to ha- happen here, and people just have to let go of this, this you know, trickle down economics, and that's what we're experiencing now with this tax bill. It's just another version of that. It's not by name, but I mean, there's help them help
0: the middle it- class. Come on, I mean, yeah. I, I I respect the fact that the middle class is decreasing, and we need we need to have a, a bigger middle class. But the way to have it is to get more people into it, not help the yeah. ones who are already there.
1: Yeah, not just that, but it's, it's above and beyond that. It's kind of like, well, you know, we all heard trickle-down economics or voodoo economics, you know, when Reagan proposed it. And it turned out that's what it was. And, you know, a couple more presidents kept promoting it. And, you know, it, it, but everyone knows it doesn't work. Now we've got this thing where we're going to cut corporate tax rates. That's the new trickle-down economics. That's, that's a dog whistle for, for trickle-down economics because it's the same thing. You know, oh, we're going to cut tax rates. Well, yeah, I'm sure they're going to hire more people or pay pet- people better. Uh-uh. They're going to do stock buybacks. They're going to uh bigger bonuses, uh, fatter golden parachutes. You know, none of that's going to get down to the, the line workers. And that's not going to create more jobs for people to get into the middle class and certainly not going to help the people stuck in stagnating, uh, you know, wages to to get more. No. I I just don't think that's going to work. What they really need is employment opportunities for people like you just said.
0: I agree. And just to kind of, uh, I always like to inject baseball into any segment we have. That Part part of the WBA uh, work was done to the creation of a lot of new major league, a lot of new baseball parks.
1: Yep. True, true. And the most beautiful ones too, I might add.
0: There, yeah, a lot of them with that Art Deco feel to them. Uh, yeah. Were, 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 and there are a few of them still left. I've been to some of them in uh, well, the last couple of years. That, they're still out, out there. They're, they're architectural stadium lofts. gems.
1: Stadium lofts.
0: That's right. That's a good one.
1: Yeah, that's good in one. one of our shows. Yeah, but yeah, there's a, the point is that this does not have to be the shitty time that it is. I mean, and you just, little history folks, you know, what was they say? The only thing new under the sun is a history you haven't read.
0: <laughs> oh, I like that.
1: Yeah, and it's true. I mean, just look at these programs. Just follow Roosevelt through his process. Now, you know, he had a real advantage in that there was a real visible crisis. This one tends to be a little more invisible, the thing with the opioid crisis. But that said, I think there's another enough other stuff that's out there that people are aware of. We just, you know... We just elected a reality TV star for president because well, he promised all this stuff to the middle class. And, of course, he's not delivering it, but that doesn't
0: matter. Hey, it, let's face it. The fact that we had a president elected under such shallow circumstances just demonstrates we have a crisis. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I think I think it's been a wake-up call, though, to politicians. I, I hope, hope. So. Yeah, where they stop the double talk, you know just speak english so we can all understand and put together some programs that make sense common sense and and do them and quit playing politics don't worry you know you're going to have a job but why are these guys so it's not the i guess it's not the job is it it's the power that's why these guys hold on and make all these compromises with the devil i guess
0: i think it's a disease you get if you go to washington
1: well i think you might have a point there so anyways oh well uh, any final words on 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 this John
0: I would no i I think you've pretty well uh described it and uh and obviously you know the significance the seriousness of, of what we're uh going through right now is is well well worth noting that's yeah not all I can say yep absolutely so, okay oh well we did it John we did it that's for sure and a very uh you know kind of hit a lot of different territory. But I think all worthwhile, except for I that think so movie. too.
1: Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> we got that was that was a major major achievement. We got through that, and yeah, we got thanks. a new T-shirt. We got a new T-shirt that will not make it look like it will not accentuate your boobs. I promise. Okay. And it's going to look good. You're going to like it. Just go look at it, shirt dot dot show, and see if you can resist buying it. I don't think you're going to be able to. hate to say it. Okay.
0: Sounds, Sounds good. Good. All right, John. I'll be talking to you. Hey. Bye. Don't show! Oh! Don't